podcaster, I hardly know her. <laughs> oh, hi. My name is Megan. I'm a busy mom of four young kids, a comedian, an improv trainer, and an award-winning author. This podcast is essentially the vessel I use to verbally process all types of topics and experiences. I love sharing stories, ideas, and considering new alternatives to things I have yet to learn and apply to my own life. All of this in effort to help create happier, healthier human connections through humor. Welcome to the I Hardly Know Her podcast. National Adoption Month continues here throughout November. Uh, Today's topic is foster adoption. My guest, Amber Kidd, BSW, is the Foster Adopt Program Coordinator at a New Beginning Adoption Agency. She has almost a decade of experience working in adoption, and her primary role now is to help families prepare for permanent placement of their child. In addition, she is the key social worker in advocating on behalf of a New Beginning Foster Adopt Program families to nearly 4,000 child caseworkers across the United States. Amber has been essential in building such a successful program, creating and facilitation of post-placement services and family support and education that increases child placement permanency, which means fewer disruptions. If she isn't working directly with families, she's working directly with a child's caseworker advocating for placement with the right family. Um, There's two different types of foster programs. Something to note, uh, most commonly known to the public is a foster adopt program through the health and welfare system. That is a traditional idea that family fosters, a family would foster kids first and then adopt those same kids when they become available for adoption. That's not how it is done at a new beginning. At a new beginning, The foster adopt program does not require fostering first because they are working with the children in foster care that will not return to their biological families through through reunification. These children are often considered the most at risk because they're usually older, part of a sibling group, um, or that reunification process has already failed. Um, So this is a kind of um, sensitive subject and it's actually a really, really large Uh, challenge nationwide because there are at any given time 425,000 children in the United States foster care system. So looking for permanent families for these young humans is very important. So I hope that you'll listen in and consider uh, what this information might be able to do for you or what connections it could be uh, for either you or someone you know um, to help get a permanent home for a a child that really could use that uh, forever family. Amber, I would love for you to tell us what got you into social work. I guess first and foremost, social work, but you specialize in the area of foster adopt programs. So where, where did you get to that point? And talk to us a little bit about what drew you to this arena. Yeah, you know, I will say I have always just had a passion with working and with kids and have always been drawn to to them. You know, I was a little girl that was always wanting to be by the babies and, you know, engaging with the toddlers and still enjoy just connecting with kids. And so that, you know, that kind of is a foundation of where I started. I will say I did not know my biological father growing up. 
mm-hmm. and never had any type of connection with that side of my family. And so there was always a part of me that was kind of, um, I think, drawn towards adoption, even though I had a stepfather that came into my life later on. Um, and, you know, understanding that self-identity piece, I mm-hmm. think is really kind of what always drew me towards adoption. So then when I did get into social work and finally landed there, because, you know, college major changed multiple times Mm. (laughs) during my course at Boise State University, but um, I found a new beginning and, you know, that they had an internship placement option and I was able to meet with some of the staff, uh, Stephanie Pearl, our, our executive director and another staff member and really made some connections and was able to do my initial social work um, internship there or here at the agency. Um, And that really just led me towards working with different people in the adoption constellation. So birth parents, um, adoptive families and adopted kiddos. And really my heart just goes towards these kids who need permanency and are waiting and really, you know, I've been able to work in, you know, different areas, but foster adopt definitely has my heart. And I hope to continue to work with, the, you know, these families and supporting them um, as they grow their families. I love it. One of the things I really want to emphasize, and maybe this doesn't seem super uh, odd to some people, or I don't know if that's the right word, but I remember as I kind of dove into the adoption advocacy realm several years ago, I didn't quite notice the difference or know what the difference was between just like foster programs versus foster to adopt. And that's what I kept hearing a new beginning talking about was foster to adopt. We're looking to actually have it be that permanent home. Um, And a lot of people, like it turns out as I bring up the subject, a lot of people actually don't necessarily think of that as an immediate thing. They think there's foster homes that are a temporary situation. Um, And I know Idaho is a reunification state as well. So without throwing way too many questions at you, I would love to get a little bit more emphasis around why foster to adopt? What is that difference between people who are just in the system and like, where does that start bridging things together that's beneficial for the kids? Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up, Megan, because I think that is kind of a misnomer and it gets really confusing the difference with our program at a new beginning versus working with the state. So um, the state public agencies, Department of Health and Welfare, I mean, across the nation, they're called something, you know, they're all sorts of names um, and acronyms for them. But the state system, they their goal is primarily to reunify with biological parents. So meaning they are working with the biological parents on a case plan. You know, sometimes that can be counseling, uh, mental health or drug um, treatment. You know, those are types of things that they're trying to have an environment that the children can go back into that is a safe, um, healthy, stable environment for them. Mm. So the the state is looking for families that are just general foster families, meaning that the likelihood of it moving towards adoption is a smaller percentage. And so our program, they are, we are working with families that are seeking permanency, meaning adoption is the end goal. So that is very different than the state. You're not just fostering these kiddos. They are coming to your home um, and we consider you their growing up family. And so we really work hard in kind of the education piece of, you know, 
preparing families for what that could look like. And, you know, we work across the nation, not just here in Idaho. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Do a lot of people know that they can come in and specifically request for that? Or is it people maybe start entertaining the idea of adoption in general? And then when they see the different options, then maybe their heart opens to, oh, there's already there's already children here that might be um, a good fit for us. Like, what is the way to get people to kind of funnel down that that option? Right. Well, we definitely are always wanting to provide information. Um, we do a monthly information seminar and, you know, we have our website that kind of gives a lot of information specifically about each of our programs at the new beginning. But really, I think it, it does start with kind of, they might see a Wednesday's wonderful kids ad on TV, which is the you know, kids that are available for adoption, typically that means parental rights have been terminated. And so caseworkers are looking for families, you know, for a permanent option. And so, you know, they, they show you the kids that are at the park or doing a fun activity and kind of what they're wanting in an adoptive family. And so it kind of, I think, draws families mm -hmm. in. Um, so I think that's kind of where it starts or they know somebody who has adopted or um, that's the way they end up growing their family. So I think that's how we end up, you know, families finding us. Um, mm. We do get a lot of referrals from the community as well, because we do focus solely on adoption, not just foster parents. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the need when we're talking numbers of kids in the foster care system, like tell us some of the numbers that we can maybe try to wrap our brains around because it's a lot. Oh, it sure is. There, this is a system that kids are waiting. Um, so I think there's over 400,000 kiddos that are in care right now. And then over 120,000, I want to say it's close to 125,000 that are available for adoption. So if you, if you think about that, again, over 400,000 kids are in the system right now. And um, there is such a need for families that, you know, this is, this is a system where kids are waiting, you know, versus some of, um, you know, like infant domestic, you're waiting mm -hmm. for a birth parent to make that decision and make a plan for her child. And so um, these are kids that have been removed through no fault of their own, um, but it's typically due to neglect, physical abuse, uh, parents' inability to cope, meaning they potentially could not meet the medical needs or um, housing, you know, those are things that we are going to be seeing kids come into care for. Yeah. I always hear the word kids and I think of little kids. And then I remember now, especially because I'm close to this, uh, that it's not just little kids. And I even saw a post by A New Beginning recently about the statistics of what ages these actually are. Some Was it one in five kids in the foster system are actually teenagers or was it one in four, somewhere around that range? What are your thoughts on uh, some of those age ranges and what that need really, really looks like when we're saying kid? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that yeah, the average age that we see of kids available is eight and above. Mm -hmm. And the older teens and youth are definitely considered harder to place. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that they're, um, you know, sometimes it's that feeling of you're not going to get to experience first with teens, uh, meaning, mm -hmm. you know, 
yes, you're not changing the dirty diapers, but hey, you get to be there and teach them how to drive. <laughs> um, so you still get to experience those first with, with teens. And, um, you know, they also come with their own interests and personalities. Sometimes that's really fun and exciting <laughs> for parents. Sometimes that's really scary. Um, but yeah, teens are considered harder to place. And there is a high percentage of teens that end up aging out of care. Um, over 20,000 kiddos end up not having a permanent family to call their own. Um, and, you know, that soft place to land when you want to go home for the holidays or who do you call up for advice when you, you know, you're trying to budget <laughs> for the mm -hmm. month or, you know, making a big decision. And so these kids really, they need somebody to show up for them. And yeah, there are a lot, a lot yeah. of kiddos, teens that that are available. What does it look like for a young person who ages out of the, the system? What does their future look like if they have not found that soft place to land? Right. We know that incarceration is, um, for those that age out of care, is, is a higher percentage. Kids, um, we know that teens that age out of care, they, um, the likelihood of an unplanned pregnancy occurring mm -hmm. for them is a higher percentage. Teens that age out of care just have a higher percentage of unemployment, not going to a higher education or trade. And we're going to see a lot of teens that end up um, getting kicked out of their foster placements or end up choosing to leave their foster placements and are going to be facing homelessness and not having a stable place to go to bed every night. And that is a huge deficit. Um, and I think in all of our communities, like this is not just here in Idaho, this is across the nation that we see teens end up leaving foster care and struggle. Then mm. uh, that's, that's really not okay. Yeah. It's so hard to think about mm -hmm. even in situations where people are maybe in quote unquote, whatever a best case scenario is even in like a, a, a biological nuclear family or whatever, which actually seems fairly few and far between anymore in the, in the world today. But even in pretty well-adjusted households, people still have issues. People still have trials and, and things to deal with. How is the realm of trauma and uh, the inability to adjust and having these healthy um, things, these healthy habits, these healthy, healthy connections formed for young people who are kind of bouncing all around in foster the foster system? Well, I think if I'm understanding your question, Megan, I think that it is, we need families that are committing as if these kids were born to you. Um, yes, they're the kids that are in the uh, foster care system have experienced a lot of trauma. Um, mm -hmm. And we consider them, um, you know, they come from a hard place. That's kind of a meaning that they are, again, the moving from placement to placement or the inconsistency of not having their basic needs met of food, mm. shelter, you know, a bed to lay in. Um, those are pivotal things that impact our kids. And so, yes, we do sometimes see their behaviors come out sideways, as we like <laughs> to say. And that is part of why the training and preparation before you have a child joining your family is so essential. 
mm-hmm. and ongoing. I mean, it does it doesn't stop. And I think no matter what type, you know, how you have added to your family, parenting is hard. Mm-hmm. It is hard. And yes, there are days where it's like, is this adoption related or is this typical development? You know, mm-hmm. and really we are we're here to support and part of my role is to support families during that process and even after they finalize we have families that reach out to us and need supports or you know we help to maintain those relationships with families but um the training i think is super essential mm-hmm. in you know, and not just training it's trauma-informed training meaning yeah. you are understanding what trauma and attachment actually means and what those behaviors could look like or diagnoses that these kids may potentially have put on them. And mm. so, yeah, I, I, I hope that answers. Yeah, it totally does. And I actually have, have um, attended some of the training things just to learn more myself over the years. And I'm like, man, this would actually be really good training for all human beings, just to have a little more grace with all the things that are going on in the world around us. You mentioned support though. What are, talk to us about what does that mean? Support for all parties, support from, obviously there's probably the timeline. It sounds like you just said there's people that can come back for support and guidance, um, even after placement. Obviously there's prep work. What does some of that support look like and how how do people engage with that? Right, so definitely support for, um, the family. And I will say in this program, we are not typically working with bi- our biological parents, birth parents, um, you know, those, whether their rights have been terminated involuntarily, or it's not always a safe um, scenario. There are obviously situations where birth parents or biological family members may still be involved. So when I speak to the support, it's just in, in regards to this program, we're not, we're not as frequently working with biological parents. So there is support for our adoptive families as well as the kiddos. So we do have a lot of support groups, (laughs) um, because one, we know that talking to people that are, you know, walking the same journey as you is so important and essential in just being able to, whether it's, you know, your family member that only added to their family, you know, biologically or has never um, had to face certain trials in parenting may not always be the best person to go to um, Mm -hmm. when you need just to seek advice or when you're having a hard day. And so, it's also a group where you get to share the joys in parenting. Um, mm. So there, there is an adoptive, um, adoptive moms group, dads group. We have a general foster care support group, as well as an online private uh, group that is available to our families. And, you know, we do a lot of other education too, in terms of um, additional classes. So we have an extended parent um and family group where you can prepare. We're giving some education to your family members and friends that are supporting you. So all of the training that you do, we also get to say, hey, like the, this is um, your grandchild, potentially um, mm. their story. And this is how you can support your child, you know, as they become parents. And, um, you know, so there is that support. And I will say I get calls. I can get calls in the middle of the night or, 
weekends, you know, that is part of what my role is to also support families is when they are having a hard moment, I am also here. We have our clinical director, Sally Geyer, and she has over 30 years experience in the field of social work and primarily working with, you know, youth that have come from foster care or experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. And so that's just another support that we put in place because we know building the village, you know, around you, because it does really take a village to mm-hmm. um, raise kids these days. And so I, you know, or always, I guess, but <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. What about from the kids perspective? Is there actually, I mean, you work directly with these kids, right? What is that experience like? Do they get to engage with other foster kids or kids that are going through the transition process? What what do you hear from the kids, what it's like from their perspective and what they really are looking for, what they're hoping for in this process? Yeah, thank you, Megan. I we do have an we do have another group at the agency. It's called Yana. You are not alone. And it is for our youth adoptees. And I have heard nothing but positive come from that group of they show up every other week and get to do an activity and just connect socially as well. It, I think it's just, it, I, I don't even know the word to describe it. I think mm. not being othered is so important for our kids. And I think when you put adoption in some of the things that these kids have experienced, they do very much get put in that box or kind of feel that way. Mm. And so you know, unfortunately, due to COVID, we haven't been able to do some of our in-person, you know, picnics or some of our Mm -hmm. other events that we like to do. But I have also had kids tell me that it's, they really enjoy those types of, you know, get togethers with other families that look like them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be the secret that they're adopted. Um, You know, and some kids do shout it from the rooftop, like they're so proud. Yeah. Um, I think it just depends where they're at and developmentally or their age um, and who they feel comfortable sharing that with. Yeah. So, yes. What does a success story look like for you? Or do you have an example of something where you're like, <laughs> yes, this is what we're going for. This is what we're looking for in this process. Yeah. I, I mean, every, every family's story is different. And I think the stories to me that stick out as success are the parents that show up day in and day out for their kids. Sally Geyer, who is our clinical director, she teaches our training for foster care to adopt program here at the agency. And one of the things that she says in training is is that every kid deserves to have one parent wake up every morning excited to parent them. And I think that, you know, if you are a single parent, having that support system around you so that you can have your moments too, because again, this is hard parenting, but that to me, when I see parents show up in the tough moments is nothing is better than that because, you know, these kids deserve that. And if not them, then who, Mm -hmm. you know? who is going to show up for these kids because they have had so much loss in their, in their lives. And, um, yeah. Yeah. 
this has all been so helpful um, and and um, just really interesting to listen to kind of as we bring this home today, what is something, do you notice things getting more positive and streamlined as you've been in the industry? Are there things that are still really unhinged? Like what things are you excited about within this scope that um, seems promising and things you're looking forward to in the future for maybe having even more success in in making these families? That is a really good question, Megan. (laughs) I mean, I, I have seen, um, a lot of different things and working with systems is hard (laughs) It working with different systems within the, you know, um, Mm. different state systems, caseworkers. Uh, there's just a lot that makes the foster care process difficult at times. Mm-hmm. Um, the connections that I've been able to make in the agency, I think are essential in helping build families. I know that that is a way for us to make an impact for the kids that are waiting. Mm-hmm. We have great relationships with, you know, the caseworkers in different states, and they are reaching out to our agency specifically for our families that are home study approved and are ready for a kiddo to join their family. And I think that that's something I'm excited about moving forward. Uh, You know, I think that working with any state system is difficult. And we know that there are a lot of policies and practices that aren't where they should be. There is a lack of foster homes in Mm -hmm. a lot of states, Idaho included. Mm -hmm. And you may hear stories about kids having to stay in hotels in being staffed by caseworkers. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard to hear. And so I I would love to see that change in the future is Mm -hmm. if, if permanency might not be right for you right now, because it isn't the right fit for every family. I think that we need good foster families within our system Um, and we need families that can contribute. And if it's not foster, being a foster parent or an adopt, you know, you're not ready to join or are not adding to your family through adoption. There are ways that people in the community could help. Um, I think being an advocate and for those you may know that are going through the process, Mm -hmm. being there to support them, but really, I, I just, you know, I, I'm excited for our families and where we're going and, you know, all of the additional supports that the agency in New Beginning has implemented and are still implementing. And I, I think that that's a really working for a private agency or a nonprofit private agency is we, we are able to meet the needs of our families and our kids. We're not, you know, and I think that I also see the flip side of it that I mentioned of, you know, that's where it's hard when you work with different states. It's like you have to go up the chain of command and guess that happens here at the agency too, but it can happen a lot quicker. And we know within our community what we could do to support our families better and you know, ultimately be the success for our kids when they come to these families. Yeah. Um, awesome. So one last question. You, we're in Idaho. We're based in Idaho. I do have some listeners outside of state lines. Where, where can people go? Can a new beginning assist? I feel like you mentioned some things. It sounds like there's 
uh, some flexibility in where people live. What is the scope of who can be involved in this program? So for this program specifically, we are only able to work with Idaho families. Okay. And that's because we are licensed in Idaho. Gotcha. Um, and it, it, it is somewhat confusing because we do, we, we can only work with families in Idaho. We license them. We're providing that supervision of, you know, the monthly support visits once the child's mm -hmm. in the home. But our, the primary, uh, primarily the kiddos that join our families are coming from across uh, state lines. Oh, so okay. we do work nationwide. And so that's something else that makes our program a little bit more unique is we're not only matching kids that are here in Idaho, but also across the U.S. And um, I would say primarily our program is looking at different states um, gotcha. in that capacity. Okay. So that's for the foster adopt program is the Idaho families to be the ones to adopt, but they're getting kids from potentially all over the country versus some of the other adoption programs through a new beginning there, there's some reverses. There's families that are available from out of state and there's more. Okay, cool. Just wanted yeah, to really clarify. It. Okay, excellent. Got it. <laughs> For those out there. And if anyone has any questions, that's within the sound of my voice. If you have questions about adoption of any variety, I would love for you to reach out and give a message to me. Um, and I will happily connect with my friends at A New Beginning um, because they're not only a, a great local resource, but they really dive into an understanding of things and can be a connection tool for other resources um, if it's not something you guys have an immediate strength on. Um, Amber, it's been so awesome to have you. I appreciate um, your time and certainly all of the energy that you put into such an important work. Do you have any last thoughts of anything that you're just like bubbling over to say about all of this? Um, well, there is just so much information out there that I know we have only scratched mm -hmm. the surface. Um, <laughs> so I know, like you said, just any questions, Megan knows where to reach out to us at, and I would be happy to share any more, you know, anything that might come up. If I don't know it, we will try to find it because I, you know, I do have such a passion for this this program and the kiddos that we get to work with. Um, so, yeah. So good, awesome. Thank you, well, Megan. Thank you, it's been a pleasure to see you and thanks again for your time. All right. Thank you for listening to the I Hardly Know Her podcast. If you'd like to stay connected to me in other ways, you can find me on most social media platforms at Megan or at my website, meganmccaleb.com. And remember, you don't have to be a big deal to do big things. <laughs>